I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Sarah from Cheltenham and you are listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, does social media bring positivity or negativity to your life? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, hello, and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from Sarah from Cheltenham's question, does social media bring positivity or negativity negativity to your life? Negativity. Thanks for writing in, Sarah. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, shout out everybody from the, the Gloucestershire crew. Uh, thank you, Sarah, for your question. Um, I think Howard, I, I think the quote, the best quote is the one I heard from uh, Chris Rock, where he said, like, you know, fame and profile is very similar to fire in that it can keep your house warm and cook your food, but it can also burn your house down and horrifically scar you. And I feel like social media is very similar. It's uh, got a lot of positivity, gives a lot of visibility to uh, spaces and places and people you wouldn't normally hear from has definitely democratized the voices of people online but at the same time it's still a very early technology and we're not sure how severely it can burn us or at what degree it can burn us too very so, good yeah. answer dane very good answer dane and uh if you like sarah from Cheltenham, want to ask a question why don't you get in touch with us on social media and <laughs> yeah. uh suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we dane Absolutely, no question is too big, too small, highbrow, lowbrow, positive or negative. And if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. You can find us on all platforms and you'll be able to hear the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a journalist, presenter and screenwriter, an all-round good guy. He presented on T4, on Tool Academy, Freshly Squeezed, E4 Music and the 2012 Paralympic coverage to name a few of his plaudits and credits. He has also written for The Observer, The Evening Standard, and The Huffington Post, as well as being a BBC presenter for The Quiz Show Impossible. He can now be found on the airwaves of BBC Radio 5 Breakfast, usually alongside Rachel Burden, and he has even gone to the trouble to actively help and support my career, and also got me a few nice t-shirts and jumpers from Percival, and I want to thank him personally for that. Please <laughs> That's welcome no problem. to the show, <laughs> Mr. Rick Edwards. That is, I always put that at the very top of my CV, I always build to... <laughs> The stuff yeah. that I've done for you, Dane. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea about this bromance. Where's this fucking kid? This fucking choir over these hundred and eighty odd episodes, Dane. How the the way a bromance survives is if you don't go too public with it. That's the thing really? about social media. Once people know, you know, who you're linked to, then you know they can always start hacking away at that union. And I always wanted to preserve that with Rick. So also, right. Rick was worried that he wouldn't be getting any flowers on this episode. And I want you to know, Rick, that we are a digital florist, if nothing else, on this podcast. We like to give plaudits to those who deserve it and in in large heaps and that that is exactly why i'm here i'm, I'm here because i like you dane uh, and i'm here because i want the digital flowers um, hey, i was trying to them. think about when we when we first met was it on safe word would it have been safe it might word? Be, yeah i think it might have been safe word yeah yeah, yeah. which is quite um it's quite a fun show that i don't i don't think you you'd be able to do now it feels a bit mean doesn't it I think, yeah, I think it'd be way too volatile because a large part of it was taken over someone's social media. Yeah, 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 yeah. like the little, the little, the little prank here and there could leave people open for a lot of backlash moving forward. Although, well, there's recall, a lot of Russian bots already doing it for certain people. Well, there anyway, you go. So, so, yeah, so maybe, maybe it would work maybe a bit too well. But I, um, yeah. Do you think Russia today were watching Safe Word? Uh, <laughs> and they were like, this is good, actually. This is a good yeah. idea. You yeah, we know. can have some fun with this. <laughs> we never know. Vladimir, what's this? Exactly. How well <laughs> do we know the exact producers? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to know what he made of Gemma Collins, uh, for starters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they were like, if we were able to get her to defect, she'd be an amazing asset. But luckily for us, Gemma's still on our side. She's, she's and, stuck with us. Yeah, yeah. and Gemma yeah. Collins, maybe she's the person that will be able to reunite NATO in the face of uh, this uh, conflict with Russia and Ukraine. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. 
Yeah, well, okay, good luck na- to everyone name... in a world where that's possible. But yeah, <laughs> I just want you to name one stranger thing than Gemma Collins <laughs> <laughs> sorting out everything between Russia and Ukraine and NATO. That is, that is, that's true. Yeah, listen, there's one of you right in. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates, mate. Absolutely. Mr. Rick Edwards is our very esteemed guest. We'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which would be any question you'd like, which we'd like to discuss with you for about 15 minutes or some change. Yeah. Then my producer friend and co-host, Howard Cohen, would like to pose a question to you to discuss for the same amount of time. Uh-huh. And then keeping up with tradition, I'd like to pose a question to you uh, that we could discuss for about 15 minutes. And with our remaining time, we'd love for you to tell our viewers and listeners where they can hear about your good works, past, present and future. Yeah, How does that sound? Yeah, well, it, sounds, it sounds perfect to me. Um, so my question uh, is one that I've sort of been mulling over for a few years now, and it is, is meritocracy, the concept of meritocracy, overrated? Now, I can expand upon that if you'd like. Please or you expand can where, where you've always, inspired. Always. So, so I think that, the idea of meritocracy, and certainly for me when I was growing up, was a very seductive one. So, oh. in in a, in in the in the sort of simplest terms, it kind of says, you know, do you want to live in a society where your 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 background, your gender, your 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 race, your class, none of that really really matters. It's just like you will get as far in life as your hard work and talent dictates, oh. and. That's quite a sort of. Oh, sorry. I think my, my my coffee machine is turning itself off. I can't. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, that is my fault. But also, I don't know yeah. how to stop it. It just sort of does it randomly. So I'll pick up that. I feel like if it well, can hear so you, just make sure you look forward to. For exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My exactly. advice would be for any any automated device nowadays: just make sure you punctuate your sentences with please and thank you, because when the revolution comes, they'll remember that you were pleasant to them. Yeah. So it's a good point, yeah. actually. Thank you, coffee machine. <laughs> yeah so so and, and you you kind of have this idea and i think particularly for me I, I i was really enamored with it because i thought well yeah that seems like a really fair system um and a good thing to strive for and wouldn't it be nice to imagine that that was the way that everything worked and it is an idea that has been pushed at various points in in our recent history in 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 the US's um recent history uh Tony Blair talked about it just before he was he was elected in I think in 1996 um and it's only yeah fairly recently that I've started to think hmm I'm not sure that a meritocracy is workable it's sort of in the abstract or B that it is it is working at all in our societies at, at the moment, and I think can it's I actually you, yeah. Can I ask you, Rick? Do, do, did you do you feel what you've achieved in your career has been based on merit? Well, this is this is the thing. So it's quite reassuring to think yes, and the more that I've considered it, I think no. I think I've got lucky in all sorts of different ways, and hmm. that's really fine but i don't think most people accept that um when you say luck is it it's not luck as in like my family member got me this job no (laughs) no 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 so but there's there's sort of there's levels of 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 luck isn't there and also like okay so this is a quite a fundamental question but let's say that uh i'm good at exams and as it happens i am good at exams now is is that is that lucky? Well, yeah, because I haven't done anything to like. I, I don't deserve to be good at exams. I just happens to be good at exams, and there's lots of factors that have sort of fed into that. But none of yeah. them are anything to do with my sort of character or work. Oh man, it's so fascinating, Dane. You yeah. must have. I can see Dane brewing up. Some, yeah, yeah. Some I, I, this here. is why I genuinely I thought I really would love to hear Dane sort of. I've got a lot of things this. to add yeah. to it. I think Dane's going to Dane's no, going to no, go, no, go ahead because I, I, I'm it's, it's interesting. So I, I think it fits into a number question, of different. Uh, I question it all well. the time, uh, Rick. You know, like I look at my life now, and as Dane knows, I, I comparatively to when he met me, I live a happy life. Uh, I can actually say that out loud in public on a book. 
life's I like my life. It's, yeah. it's decent now. And and that does come down essentially come down to my work. Which, uh-huh. which in in a lot of cases will not be the defining thing of your happiness. There is and I d I don't know. I'd love to know the statistics on how many people derive their happiness from their work. Yeah, I imagine that percentage is incredibly low. Um, uh, yeah, because I think that the um the the dignity that we sort of confer on work uh well certain types of work anyway has been has been eroded with 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 time i think that you know yes. certain yeah. sorts of work are, are put in this quite privileged position and most work isn't yeah. um with, with with some sort of notable exceptions um and that 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 in itself i think is probably a, a, a I, problem I, I would often you know, someone, I sometimes meet people at the start of their career and they'll ask me about mine and the stuff I've done in my career. And I often will talk about it in a way that does sound, you know, uh, you know, like I, like it's been a merit. It's been, it's been on merit. Uh, it's been on merit. Uh, like some of the stories of my career are like, so like when everyone went home, I got the cameras out and started filming shit and that's what got me out of the job that i had at the start which i didn't want to do for very long because it was burning dvds which was miserable Uh, (laughs) so like that sounds like it's a meritocracy right i forced my way out but like you know i I often you know and the way that you're talking about like is it just lucky that i uh was driven and motivated you know but in some ways they then you make your own luck then you make your own luck in this world can I, mean, can, can I, can I, yeah. really, uh, can I make one yeah. just sort of, um, you can make as much as you want. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to make one, one more point just to sort of throw oh. in. Well, two actually, sorry. Um, one is, I think there is also an issue that you can find lots of outlier anex- anecdotal examples uh-huh. of people who have done extraordinary things from sort of, you know, quite sort of lowly, beginnings and so it's the sort of the alan sugars is is your classic and i I think it quite often it tends to be a bit gendered so alan sugar is like boy done good and uh and certainly previously i think sort of aspirational women uh aren't given afforded the same amount of respect but that that, that's probably we probably don't want to go into that now but but i do think that's a factor the other thing and then, and that then gets held up by the people who sort of want to maintain this idea that meritocracy is doing a good job. They point to these people and they say, "Look, it's working." And and I think it that it doesn't mean it's working. You're always going to find some people who've, who've who've done some extraordinary things. That doesn't tell you that systemically meritocracy is functioning in in, in the way that you want it to, or indeed that it's a good thing anyway. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a really good question. I think for me, the short answer would be that I don't, I don't necessarily think that uh, meritocracy is overrated, but I, I definitely take what you say in terms of like, I, uh, I believe obviously there needs to be the opportunity to realize meritocracy for it to work effectively. So we're speaking about like luck before and, you know, some people define luck as opportunity met with, is opportunity met with preparation. Uh-huh. And so while meritocratically you can prove or justify your position uh, to exploit or realize an opportunity because that's not always offered to everybody we don't really get to see a ubiquitous landscape of meritocracy to see how well it works yeah um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's also very important to contextualize questions when we're talking about like occupation or uh success particularly monetary success within uh the throughout the lens of like capitalism because we were speaking about like certain types of jobs before, and I think one of the uh, negative facets of capitalism, among many, is the uh, occupational hierarchy we tend to have in our society. So, you know, for example, I think that there is should be there is meritocracy must exist in like a industry like sanitation or like sewage treatment. There are some people that much more have much more insight in terms of being able to treat sewage better than others. But because we have an hierarchy where that job and that industry is probably less well regarded than something like banking and finance, then true meritocracy doesn't really get to take place there because we don't emphasize or celebrate someone having a superior uh, aptitude within that particular industry. And yeah. I think that can kind of be a problem as well. I think, yeah, as you said, I think the hardest thing is to look at the effect of meritocracy is that people will take individual or anecdotal examples of 
meritocracy working uh. and then use that to describe the entire industry as working in the same way, uh. which I don't necessarily agree. So like, you know, valid example being like an Alan, Alan Sugar, obviously he's had a lot of monetary success and had more humble beginnings. But in order for that prosperity to take place, we have to understand that capitalism works as a zero sum game. And he would inevitably have to fuck people over or deprive of the people of a similar opportunity in order for him to kind of realize or maintain his position. An example could just be the show that he's on himself. The format of The Apprentice is kind of paradoxical in itself in that one of the tenets of you being an entrepreneur is that you don't necessarily have to concede or cede under someone else's authority or guidance if you truly believe you have a business model that's going to work. And we've seen examples of that, whether it's like people who have maybe left The Apprentice and gone on to have success, like, you know, someone like Tim Campbell, who has his own business, or in instances of like Dragon's Den, for example, where the Dragons, even though they are meritocratically selected because of their superior business prowess or acumen, they may not be able to identify a prosperous business based on their own experience. So I, I feel like uh, in that instance, meritocracy is somewhat stunted because I guess the judgment of merit can be so subjective. And because, Ooh. yeah. Also, I think it's it's really interesting your point about you know Alan Sugar succeeding, presumably means that some other people are, are are not succeeding, and that I think fundamentally that might be my principal objection even to a functioning meritocracy is it effectively says um, okay everyone start at the same level great wow. and then and then see how far you get see how far up the ladder however you want to define the ladder you can get doesn't say anything about the the separation of of the runs like the amount of inequality that you can end up with there yeah um and and also think about if you believe that you live in an entirely meritocratic society and you end up not doing very well the 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 sort of the philosophy of it tells you that's your fault yeah because exactly. you haven't you didn't have the talent you didn't put in the hard work and it's 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 all on you it puts it on the on the individual and i think that's really that's maybe the most damaging aspect of it i think yeah and the, most dis- and, the most in- and the most disingenuous part about it because like a large part of people when they are able to uh, transcend into positions of power or positions of success any high echelon of society part of the benefits of that is that you in many cases will in be able to enjoy or exploit some form of impunity from the other uh i suppose ad- hurdles that other people who are you know who are also aspiring to meritocratically kind of transcend their situation as well. So a perfect example being Rishi Sunak, for example, has now gone from working class beginnings to now ascending to the office of being the prime minister. However, he's also sat on the board of Goldman Sachs and been able to orchestrate a massive banker bailout for them, which has meant that anybody else who would be in a similar position or came from a similar background now, due to a number of machinations which they were involved with, wouldn't be able to rise to that same position because they'd have to pay their taxes along the way or pay for their tuition along the way or, you know, not be privy to a banker's bailout, which is one of the largest acts of socialism to pay out a capitalist institution that we've ever seen in recorded history. So we would never be able to realize meritocracy in that respect, in the same way that, like, historically, um, in sports and entertainment, because they were historically segregated, we would have never been able to really see true meritocracy in that particular fashion. Uh, and I think that kind of, that issue in terms of meritocracy kind of, it permeates every aspect of our society and as I said because it's uh, uh, I guess um, really we discuss it really through the lens of capitalism we never actually truly see it well and I would say that one thing that I don't like about it is uh, the feeling that you are defined by it you know you can be constantly defined by it and in reality every individual person can be responsible for their own actions and that doesn't mean that everyone is on the same playing field but as we've just discussed being on the same playing field doesn't define your future uh and so i you know i i i think one thing that does define a lot of people's lives is inaction in, in being inactive you you two people <laughs> i'm talking to now I would not describe as inactive. Uh, you have been active and pursued stuff in your life, and unfortunately, not everyone has that in them. And and therefore, but that's, but that's also that's not all. That, but again, I don't think that's necessarily something that uh, is a center of the brain or the human complex that can atrophy necessarily. I think a perfect example being um, 
maybe the relative inaction of people in this part of the world uh, in how they, in terms that they react to cli- climatological climatological crisis. Mm. It's going to be very different to a developing country because of just the lack of visibility in the West. Where essentially we live, what I refer to as like almost having a landfill lifestyle, in that we don't necessarily have an infrastructure which lends to climatological responsibility any more than a developing country. What we do have is an infrastructure that uh, allows us to remain oblivious to the severity of the crisis. Because when you throw shit away, that just goes to a landfill and you don't have to see it. So the impetus for you to be involved or proactively involve yourself in being more ecologically conscious is no longer your problem necessarily. All you've got to do is put your uh, rubbish in the right color-coded dustbins and you don't have to give it any more regard. And I think, you know, in terms of how, what I was saying is that, you know, some people aren't necessarily active. Part of that, I think there's a nature versus not nurture discussion about that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's the same one that involves meritocracy because I think there's a distinction. I think, uh, well, hard professor whose name I don't recall, but I did occupational psychology at uni and it was discussing the difference between aptitude and achievement and your aptitude being like your natural knack for grabbing something and grasping an idea or concept. Whereas achievement is that you can be put in a position where there may be a uh, a curriculum and by passing these various stages, you can become a success. And you can regard both of those as necessarily meritocratic because as I said, if you're lucky enough to be in a position where you can do well and you apply yourself and you do well, you could argue that's meritocratic. So people use examples of like someone like Frank Lampard grew up in a system of football and has been able to become a very, one of the best midfielders of his generation. Whereas someone like Wayne Rooney grew up playing in the park or playing with jumpers for goalposts. And they still realize the same position. But you'd argue mm. that both of them meritocratically, because they're in an industry where less than 1% of the participants become a success, they're both two schools of meritocracy, but aren't exactly the same. But I think, again, yep. it's, it's, it's definitely a nature versus nurture thing where, as I say, it's like, it's very hard to really determine the efficacy of meritocracy because we very rarely see it being acted out fully. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the problem is that like I don't necessarily so so I don't necessarily think that meritocracy is overrated. I just think it's it's because of the fact that very rarely do we get to see it acted out, particularly within a capitalist uh, society. But where everyone's going to offer the opportunity. But if I did offer you a pure meritocracy, would you be comfortable with the level of inequality that would emerge, sort of inevitably? Um, I would, but then I guess that might be because ideologically I'm a socialist, and I think part of being meritocratic would would still involve social responsibility because we're a species. So, for example, it's like if I, you know, make loads of money from comedy, the idea that I may pay into a tax base which provides for other people for whatever environmental or biological factors doesn't allow them to do the same things as I do, they can still be empowered to realise their merit. And I think I say that because I think everyone being able to realise their meritocratic potential benefits society overall. Mm. If, If anyone can have the opportunity to be the best they can be, then, you know, I think that betters everyone else ultimately to an extent. But I think obviously you need to provide those conditions. But, uh, but I guess what you're saying is that from a, from a socialist point of view, that you'd, you'd let the meritocracy run in its, in its pure form. You'd uh-huh. sort of end up with the inequality and then you would do some redistribution yeah. to reduce the inequality. So then that's yeah. not, a, you see what I mean? That's not a pure merit- meritocracy. Yeah. You've got to, I mean, you, I mean, you've had but, to but, overlay something. Yeah, yeah. Right, but I mean, to make you feel comfortable with it. I mean, maybe it's because I, I, I don't necessarily, I think when we talk about meritocracy, I think people talk about individual merit. And that's, uh, probably, that's why I, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that no one does it by themselves. And there's be a number of interdependent relationships at various stages of your career that allows you to do it. Like no. you could be a very fast runner, but you probably need a trainer or someone who goes to the trouble of building a track or someone that designs spikes. All of these all interdependent yeah, examples yeah, yeah, yeah. of someone being meritocratic yeah. will combine to realize your potential. So I think the issue is that it's effective, but it's because we don't need to look at meritocracy as a uh, function of your individual merit. Uh, I think that everyone should be able to effectively have an interdependent uh, display of their skills or attributes, but also understand that, you know, you realizing that is the culmination of the work that's done before you. Because even on a genetic level, really, if you're born with the natural ability to do stuff as well, that's come from a long genetic lineage of other people through evolution yeah. and, and natural selection that put you in a position to achieve as well yeah and there's a great example i'll, I'll plug a book actually so because this is such a i think we could sort of talk about this for for uh probably a day and still have yeah, more, yeah. more to talk about but there's a really good book by uh, uh a philosopher called michael j sandell called the tyranny of merit who talks about all, all of this stuff and it's really really fascinating i think you both like it mm. um and he gives the example of 
the the sort of the luck of LeBron James. And he says, obviously, LeBron James is lucky that he's just an unbelievably good basketball player. And uh-huh. it wouldn't really matter. You know, you or I could train as much as, just as much hard work as LeBron James on, on the basketball court. We're never going to be LeBron James. We're never going to have that level, level of success. There's another really interesting element, which is that he's lucky to be born in a place, in a time that values that skill set. So if he'd been yeah, exactly. in uh, Renaissance Florence, people have been like, well, we mainly like fresco painters. So yeah. no, well, that's... Four, yeah. 400 years prior, being very tall and strong in America... It's not... Yeah. Be, yeah, 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 you're not playing basketball. Yeah, it's an absolute well, disaster. You'll be working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so just sort of like, you, it's, a, it's a happy coincidence of timing and the skills that you've you, you've you've yeah. ended up with through genetics and then and and then your hard work can i finish just by giving you i, I think it's an interesting thought experiment um that you mm. might like that this again is from um is from michael sandel he's sort of talking about the fact that obviously a big factor in this is is higher education and the universities that people go to and they're such a um an indicator of subsequent life success by by various metrics and so the access to those higher education institutions is obviously quite important He's talking about America and he's sort of talking about Harvard. And he's like, okay, so you look at Harvard and they've had, you know, over the years, all sorts of issues around diversity, of course. Um, they've tried to improve that. But someone flippantly at, at Harvard once sort of one of the admissions tutors said, you yeah, know, we get 40,000 applicants for 2,000 places. And then we have to sort of try and work out who the most deserving, the most able, the most impressive 2,000 of that 40,000 are. And he's like, it's really difficult. And I, I, and he's like, I wonder if I just was walking down the stairs with the 40,000 applications and then I just sort of tripped and dropped them all and then just picked up 2,000 randomly, <laughs> whether that would be a less able cohort <laughs> than the ones that we've, that we've painstakingly selected. And Sandel says, probably not. And that is a much better way of, of doing it. And, and you <laughs> can then sort of extend that. So literally you don't say, we're just going to take the best and brightest. You say, look, if you're realistically, if you're applying to Harvard, there's an, an, or, or you can apply this to you know like any of the sort of Russell Group universities here, for example, you, you, you're going to be smart. You're going to be doing well. Like you probably do have the aptitude and the and, and the ability to, to to do well at that university. So why not just have a sort of lottery? Just to, yep. just say, okay, yep. this is this is our forty thousand applicants. Maybe you have to get rid of a few of them who've actually like you know they've chanced their arm a bit and actually wouldn't be able to do it. So you end up with thirty thousand. Then you just do a lottery and you take the two thousand that come out of the lottery and, and and off you go. And it's kind of and and, and I I absolutely like uh, having been to a you know a, a sort of well respected university. I think that's a, just such a great. It will never happen, but yeah. it's such a great great idea. And it would it would remove that sense of entitlement that people have that's the other thing people feel like they're they're such the fucking big man or or, you know when when they when they go to places like that and they carry that around like i've done so well on my merit to get into this prestigious university and aren't i aren't i fantastic and it's not an it's not a helpful attitude i think if you'd said it becomes very very insular and it means that people will but at the same time the, the difficulty is that that the prestige that comes alongside being in those circles means that might allow your uh, meritocratic drive to atrophy because just by putting an Ivy League university on your uh, resume or CV, you're probably predisposed to be respected a lot more and yeah. maybe not have to go into the lottery for later employment opportunities. I would say personally, I would go so far as to say is that like, while the chance the uh, lottery might would be an effective and much more egalitarian way of determining entrance, I think the issue would probably be that uh, a human ascent, uh, necessity like education should be democratized and uh i think someone and many people have said it uh education should work the way that uh american sports does so you have a draft so the most successful teachers and most uh insightful teachers uh go, go are, to the go to the worst places so then you, what would be then is that if you had the ubiquity or the availability of education for anyone who wants to get it who shows aptitude in various places if they could all know they could go wherever they could go to basically through their own merit realize the height of their potential we'd probably see a lot more fairer landscape when it comes to like education and so for me yeah. that, that that's how i'd say is that instead of like the lottery of everyone's getting to ivy league 
work towards every university being Ivy League and remove uh, the yeah. uh, remove the uh, the snobbery from going to a particular university and uh, yeah and then and then that would mean that in turn we'd have to remove occupational hierarchy and I say this in the view that in the next generation or so occupational and educational uh, um, hierarchy is going to become relatively obsolete because the more that AI begins to proliferate doesn't matter how smart you are we'll know that there's someone who can do the job better than you can anyway and human beings having work making that a part of who they are or deriving self-esteem because well I'm a Harvard educated doctor well when we get to the point where you can perform surgery in VR or a AI can do an assessment of a human being or a physical how effective is that going to be as a doctor yeah. so I think yeah there, there's other ways in terms of the human condition and how we can celebrate our attributes are probably going to have to change in the next generation anyway we'll be back after this when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to extend Rick's question into my question. Uh, yeah, I've, I've realised I've taken a lot of time there. I'm sorry. No, I, I, do not, it was, I, I've got no. I don't need to ask a question because you know we can just have the well, discussion. So it's all good. I'm approaching a, a particular time in my life. You know, one of those times where people start to make a big deal out of the year uh, of how old you are. Uh huh. Fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been interesting. And I'm contemplating it a little bit because, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really think about it. And it, and it made me uh, question, <laughs> or uh, not want it to sound too bleak and dark here, but sure. question the, mer- the merit of my life um, and, how, oh, and how, much, <laughs> yeah, how much merit I would apply to my life. I've got two young children, Rick, and, mm-hmm. you know, fucked with your perspective of the world. You, you, should, here. you should talk about them on the podcast. <laughs> don't fuck yourself mate they're really interesting <laughs> oh yeah oh my god it talks about his kids yeah well, they're inspiring you know they make you anyway <laughs> um, but um, you know it's just yeah so I'm posing the question to you guys because uh, I'm questioning the own merit of my existence well, well what kind of merit do you give your existence at this point look you could still have more merit by the way it's not over your life's as far as I'm aware um, that's, that's going to be slapped by that. Yeah. <laughs> Why the fuck are you alive, Rick Edwards? <laughs> no, but as in, you know, I don't know if either of you got anything. I'm supposed to have a health check. It might turn out I've not got a long left, so this is it. Yeah, but, you know, actually, moment, this, is, this is the peak of your merit. <laughs> questioning my merit. Uh, quite sad. I, I, I uh, had um, a sort of a definite wobble around this during, as I think an awful lot of people probably did, uh, during the the was it the first lockdown? I think it was first lockdown, maybe second yeah. lockdown during the pandemic, and I wasn't I wasn't working at all, and I just really struggled because I don't think I'd ever properly um, properly engage with how much uh, I get identity wise from 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 working and how how intrinsic a part of. Uh, my character i feel it is and, and like the the self-worth that i have comes from work and it was it, it, it was tricky and i'm really i'm glad that i had the opportunity to sort of think that through because it didn't feel particularly healthy and i think yeah. it did get to a 
point where I sort of realigned my priorities so that I probably feel a bit less like that now. Um, but it was a it was a good it was a good reckoning to to have because I don't think you want to just be gauging your merit um, in, in direct correlation with your with, with your work, which I think is probably what I was doing. Dangerous thing. A lot of people do it. Yeah. Very dangerous, particularly in this sort of industry. I think it's yeah. it's so because everyone's so what everyone is doing is so visible and so in your yeah. face and you got like it's so hard not to compare to, to others and wonder if you should be doing better or earning more money or getting better reviews or you know yeah. wh- whatever it is and and it's hard to it's hard to escape that so the sort of you know whether you want it or not the fear of competing with how other people are doing in in their lives whether that's work or outside of work it's it's hard man yeah well and so you have a not to be you know but, well you can just tell me to fuck off but you've got a sweet gig right uh, with your radio show right that's yeah. a, I, I look at anyone who's in your line of work and go that's a sweet gig like that's like a a thing that you are you kind of have a great ownership over your, your radio show and uh and, and you think you how many how many days of the year do you do it? A, a lot, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty well. It's yeah. It's it's Monday to Friday every yeah, yeah every, every week really. Which is the first time I've ever I've never had that security before. And it was that's definitely a part of the the, the sort of the reckoning that I had was part of the yeah. decision making process. So I was like, I think maybe a bit of stability, security. Structure. Less, people yeah, stru- love a bit of structure, yeah, and, and creative yeah. creative people are shit at structure. I, I, yeah, I mean, I've never, <laughs> I've never had anything approaching structure before, and I'm sure you haven't either, Dave. Like, and no, you go so long, you go so long without it that you yeah. have to learn that, like, if you if you try to live a life where you're trying to follow things by a linear trajectory, that can also compound any kind of depression or angst you have because, ah. um, that's again, you'd look, you try to seek that stability by maybe looking comparatively at other people's lives or other people's trajectories and. Every time you try to emulate that, then yeah, can always be have disastrous dis- result, uh, results. Yeah. Sorry. So what, what, where where do you um where do you rank your your life merit at the moment? My merit life. Um, I guess I don't, and this, I don't necessarily mean that in a fatalist way. I just try to look at it in a much more, uh, I guess, much more spiritual way. In that, uh, I think all of the uh, existential problems or angst I have come from trying to compartmentalize my own life. Rather yeah. than looking at it as, as me being a part of an experience, and uh, I guess I I try to uh, have this disposition because comedy is such a solitary art form, and it's very easy for you to look, like you said, in comparatively at every opportunity someone else has is one that you've lost. Um, but I always try to think of what I do, and like you said, that we lit work in an industry whereby your personage is very much linked to what you do, and so when you're not doing it. Um, as human beings, particularly in the developed world, we have linked occupation with purpose. And yeah. so if your occupation is stored or you lose it for whatever example, it'll make you think you don't have a purpose. And like I said, the pandemic probably produced that in droves amongst yeah. people who were like, I've got nothing to do if I've got a job. Um, but at the same time, I said, I, I think I've done a lot of, uh, I guess, been pondering in terms of how relevant work is and how relevant it's going to be as people. And for me, yeah, I, I guess it's, I try to look at life like like love as well as a uh, human phenomenon as an experience. Like I'm the culmination of two people's lives, and so you know. Sometimes, if you when I think about my own life, I I try to be mindful of the fact that you know, as much angst as I have about my life, for example, two people sacrifice theirs in order to for me to have a life. So I try to look at it as more of a uh, experience. Rather than something that I hold onto myself, and obviously both of you being parents understand that your lives are no longer just your own, and your purpose is no longer just linked solely for your own uh, spiritual or psychological or physical gratification. Because now there is a dependent, and the way you live your life largely influences how this person's life is going to be. So, I mean, the the, the first thing I say is, you know, something I don't know because I haven't got any kids. Have you not got kids? Oh, no, no. I've got two. Sorry. <laughs> 
Can have one of mine if you want. Yeah. Rick, give Howard like, his kid back. Yeah, sorry. Although, I really like the kids. Although, although that being said, Rick, <laughs> yeah. uh, you may not have biological kids, but at the same time, your presence in television for many years has probably influenced a lot of people with a very similar aspiration. And again, how you've probably lived your life has influenced other people who've seen, you know, I've come, Rick is from a similar background to myself, you know, has very similar mannerisms. And so I want to work towards doing the same thing. Like even with me, with comedy, it's kind of been like, now seeing another generation of comics that are coming up, whether they're based from Southeast London, whether they are black British comics, I'm aware now that they, I my actions have probably had the influence yeah. on them as well. So again, I, I don't say in any, with any lament, like I understand in many ways, my life isn't my own. My actions have a uh, effect on others. Uh, my presence has been as a result of other people's and probably have had an effect on other people's lives. So I guess it's my, my yeah. main, uh, so the merit of my life really and the lack of a better expression is to contribute to being a brick in this wall like you know I don't know where we necessarily are in terms of the uh, story of human evolution or human civilization and I don't know if 100 years or 200 years people will remember my name or what I did but at least there are maybe things that can't necessarily be compartmentalized or labeled that uh, make up human ideology that I might be able to contribute to even things as little as down to how you love somebody and how people see that may influence how people turn in choose to express their love and humanity moving forward so i really love love the idea that the um historians in the future will look back on the early 21st century and they'll call it the baptiste era yeah, I hope not all of it's the Baptiste era. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily. Yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> so, necessarily an, an era you want to claim. <laughs> yeah, some people are like, actually, according to some historians, Dane Baptiste actually loved Matt Hancock, and I would be there to defend myself. So <laughs> yeah, about, was, like, like, my conduct cannot live it. But yeah, I, I think I think it's. But I, I think at the same time, it's very important. For you to wonder about your the merit of your life or your purpose, yeah. I think yeah, that's probably I one think of the I've, 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 human I've endeavors. Some, I've got some semblance of an answer to it uh, of how to define the merit of my life. Maybe yours as well, but I'm, you, you can disagree. <laughs> I don't mind how because the tarot cards ain't working, so someone's got to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think it just comes down to a really easy version of events, really, which is just just how many good times did you actually fill your life with? And, and I know that is a kind of quite loose phrase, good times, but like, you know, I like to think this is a good time uh, with you guys and I like to think the people listening to it, it's a good time. And I'm very lucky that I get to do this for you guys. Uh, I equally had a drink with a couple of mates on Saturday night and uh, we had a good time. And then when my son wakes up at five fucking whatever in the morning and whilst for a period of time I am not full of good times, um, I still get a laugh out of him and mess around with him and, you know, we talk about how Hey Dougie's going and I give him as what I can do at that time in the morning. Uh, and you kind of think that that really, you know, across all of those different bits of your life, from work to, you know, home to family to friends, it's probably all it's really going to be worth, isn't it? I think I think <laughs> there's a sort of... Um, I wonder if there is a distinction between uh, sort of the merit of your life and your sort of overall happiness because the merit of your life i think is probably quite hard to hard to define but happiness feels like the only sensible sort of ambition for anyone in a, in, in a yeah. way it seems really sort of like an obvious thing to say but i do think it's true like at the, at, you know at the end of the day what what do you want you just want to be you just want to have a nice like you'll say you just want to have a nice time <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and, and other you know, people I around you have a nice time. Yeah, for a and good a, time, not a long time, is yeah. what they say. <laughs> yeah. And we 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 talked a little while ago. I think it was with Michelle Ackerley about our mm -hmm. mums. Um, and I, you know, I often think about my mum in these scenarios because you know she would have a very limited professional resume or credentials with which to define the 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 merit of her existence. And yet every single person that knows my mum would say she's the greatest person. Yeah. And she's a loving person who gave her life, uh, to, you know, made everyone who came into her life was, 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 you know, happy and touched and felt love for her. Yeah. That, that merit, uh, is, you know, undervalued in a world of consumerist capitalist bollocks. Yeah. Uh, that seems to, seems to drive our entire species nowadays. Can, well, can yeah, I plug, um, to this point, at this point? Keep, up sorry, this point, Howard. So, yeah, yeah, of course, mate. But you know, I, I mean, 
is again it's, it's all subjective and i think the the problems in terms of determining purpose and merit of life probably come from our need to compare other people's uh parameters for success or for happiness um, yeah. because there's there's it's like the way i remember it is before i started doing comedy i remember i was looking for a new car and uh i was looking for a different different cars to lease and uh i was looking at an audi a3 and i which doesn't really matter but it was like this might be the level up from the car I have. Uh-huh. But then the existential question popped to my head is, where are you going to drive it to? And I think that basically germinated into a larger question where it was like, it doesn't matter what the vehicle is, it's where you're going because uh-huh. they're going to end up the same way. And, I, and I've tried to do it on stage to describe the, uh, I suppose for me, the futility of class snobbery in that if we're on a plane, if human beings on a plane or we're on, we're on a trip, you have a plane you think of that as society, it has high technology and there's a first class, there's a business class, and there's an economy class. And the majority of the laity are based in, in that class. However, wherever you are sitting, and even though you might get trickled down different resources compared to people in higher classes, if whoever is guiding that plane isn't in the best or happiest corpus or in the best condition, the whole thing goes down. Doesn't yeah. matter what class you're in. And I feel like, yeah, I try to apply that to life. And at the end of the day, this is what no one's been able to work out, whether it's economists, capitalists, or uh, scientists. Like, no one's worked out what people say when they come back after they go. And so, which is why it's like, you'll never be able to harness or own this stuff. It's only the experience you can have. And so, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the merit merit is, again, like merit, yeah, merit of your life or purpose in your life is the same as meritocracy. That it, For every individual person, it's all going to be subjective. And what we need to create, I think, really on a social or larger global or social level is the space to respect uh, everyone's uh, human merit. And uh, as long as it doesn't cause any harm or loss to any other sentient life form, then that space should be for everybody. And we'll probably work it out as we're going along, which is probably our more our natural biological inclination to do that. Anyway. Well, it, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very good of you to... To give my question such merit, and um, Howard, you are matter, uh, and you matter. Thanks, man. <laughs> it's your question time, Dane. Uh, before we wrap up this uh, this excellent episode, well, I don't even know if I had an additional question on top of that because I don't even know if Rick has kids or not. So I clearly yeah. have done my research today. Any parenting tips, sort of, Rick? Listen, I have a sort of paternal vibe, don't I? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I'm sure that's the case for many people. Uh, with that being said. Um, We've listed the number of your plaudits, and I think you definitely have had a very visible influence here alongside a lot of your colleagues uh, in the shape of British media and popular and how popular culture appears in media. Appears yeah. in media. Especially, I think with like things like T Four and Pop World, they definitely yeah. shaped the minds of my generation and will have done for successive ones. And my question to you, with that respect, is. Um, how in the in the in the with the with the emergence of like influencers and the like like uh how how uh what do you think the merit is of the role of being a presenter nowadays or like a video jockey is in the advent of like social digital media now well do you think it's a more uh, to expand on it is it a lot more obsolete because i think like growing up like seeing something like yourself or like Makita or Steve Jones or June, like people would head to that as like, you know, you know, what direction that their, uh, their eye should go in in terms of looking for emerging trends within popular or music culture. Whereas now that's, that's become a much more saturated or I guess democratized, uh, position to have in popular culture. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a real range of people sort of fulfilling that function now on all different. Uh, many different platforms um you know if i think about when i was starting out it was pretty much you if you could become one of the very get very lucky this is a great example of getting very lucky i think you get lucky and you somehow become a tv presenter and you manage to not be shit at it then you could just sort of keep going because there just weren't many just weren't many presenters not that many jobs but enough to sort of keep going so if i think about my direct peers the people that i was 
sort of in competition with her. I didn't particularly feel like that. It's like a handful. It's like ten people, maybe. If 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 that, who would be going up for the same kind of jobs that that I was. And now, that is probably still true. But there's so many other avenues for people to kind of do something similar. And I do think I would emphasize similar rather than the same because um, I think when I've worked with YouTubers and and uh, and and stuff in the past and i think that they are it's such a specific skill that they that they have and it's not the same as the skill of a presenter and i think sometimes that gets exposed because it feels like it probably is the same but somehow it isn't so i couldn't be a youtuber i don't think or or, well i guess i mean i'm definitely not going to be now would I have been if I'd been born twenty years later? I don't know, um, but it doesn't feel like something I could I, I could do. And I, and YouTubers, by and large, I can't think of an example where this isn't true. Have struggled to make the transition to be a TV presenter, even though a lot of them want to do it. Which yeah. to me always seems a bit bizarre because on YouTube you have absolute ownership and agency over everything. You can earn a shit ton of money um, and have a much bigger audience than you would presenting most tv shows and yet somehow tv still has this kind of cachet um but it doesn't it doesn't particularly it doesn't translate as as well as you would as well as you would think um but then they do have i think probably a more obvious responsibility because of the sort of nature of what they they do like they are influencing people like that that is what they are trying to do is influence uh, and whether that's selling a product or or an attitude or a kind of way of life, whatever it is, that is their, you know, that that is that is the goal, whether it's stated or not. And I don't, and that wasn't really the case when when I was doing T four. We were just sort of maybe we maybe we just didn't really give it any thought particularly, but we were it's just sort of trying to have fun. Indeed, it was yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a new aesthetic then, so yeah, you probably weren't as focused on what today would be called key performance indicators or indicators of success. It was like, you know, <laughs> we're, talk, we're talking to cool bands, having fun, yeah. and other like-minded people. And yeah. I guess, yeah, you, you work out. And maybe that's the reason why, uh, you know, YouTubers, people are still aspiring to do it. And, and even though they still have aspirations for TV and stuff, is that uh, because there's been a, I guess an aesthetic was kind of created there. And so yeah. when people think of themselves as a presenter or an aspiring presenter, there's probably certain elements of the work that you used to do that people aspire to. In the same way that I've seen comics who, for me, as far as I've seen, they've got like ten, five, five to ten times the followers I have online, but they want to do Live at the Apollo still. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yes. right to passage and communicators. When, yeah. I guess in terms of someone's self-image, when they are uh, imagining themselves as a certain type of person, whether it's a presenter, to them it's like, part of that would involve the milestone of being on yeah. terrestrial television yeah and yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, YouTube, and YouTube I guess it's because the barriers to entry are so low but finding distinction within that space is a lot harder than if you were on TV where you know there's a lot like I said it's uh, meritocracy is much harder to realise when there's a lot more walls and adversity in a space yeah, as yeah. opposed to the democratic the, democr- the democratic aspect of social media while it means that more people can have a voice it's in the same way that, like, you know, human beings, democracy gave us aristocracy because when everyone spoke, we all, I guess, collectively decided it's better that we have representatives that speak on our behalf rather than us all doing all the talking. And maybe it's the same with, like, YouTubers and the like, is that at some point there'll be some kind of aristocracy that exists. Like, it does really with, like, blue ticks and stuff. If you have a verified yeah, account, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that carries a lot more weight than you just being a random person online, I guess. Yeah. And obviously, I just pay for mine now. But yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, the, the thing about the democracy element of it all that kind of confuses me is, I definitely feel, and this could be because I'm aging significantly, but like, I definitely feel that the the roots of kind of like progress, you know, like human progress, like there would be a consideration in some people's heads that reality television was in some respects a route of progress in the, let's call it the noughties. I guess you could probably say it came about earlier than that, but what? the noughties was the era. That let's really call it the early brought... Baptiste era, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so reality TV... 2000 uh, BC is also fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, reality TV had like a real, you know, it was a really remarkable thing for a period of time. Shows like Big Brother, Super Nanny, Wife Swap, to name a few, were like very, very, you know, pertinent. Uh, and uh, people talked about them a lot. It was kind of quite shocking to see our world reflected back at us. Uh. Now, that kind of marketplace is not, I, I mean, what's the word for the most saturated thing in the world? Like, we, we, we have oversaturated everything to the point that watching someone open something they bought online is a form of reality that you are engaged with uh, on mass levels, millions uh, of uh, people. So at some point, and maybe I'll be proved wrong, I imagine there's going to be a kind of unraveling of this democratization. There's just going to be like loads of people sitting there going, why is no one watching anymore? Yeah, I, 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 it's 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 very hard to um, kind of unpick whether that is us being older because I just yeah. I, my my big fear is that you sort of and you see it so often with older people basically saying, "Well, I don't really get what this thing that these kids are into is about," yeah. and I don't think that is any um, sort of uh, marker of the quality of the thing. It's just sort of gradually getting disconnected from. Sure, but like you know, I, I, I'm going to push back a little bit there. Like you, you, you worked on a show that for our generation, Tool Academy was like an iconic bit of television. And the moment that happened in that show when the blokes realised they'd been stitched up was fucking TV gold at the time it was made. It it mm. now feels, and I think you'd agree, quite a cruel thing. Yeah, 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 people, yeah. Something, something about would, Miriam that came on Sky was much worse. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, of course. That, that is, that you couldn't do that shit again mental. now. There's a list. There's a list. Yeah. There's yeah. a list. You couldn't do I'm that now. Using Tool Academy as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tool Academy as an example because, yeah. because Rick, you know, we're all going to Rick. And, you know, but like, also, you know, can I just say moved- on that point, we're not talking derogatively uh, in a derogatory fashion about Miriam. I hope you're able to continue to live in your truth wherever you are. Sure. No, no yeah, yes. it was a fucked up show, is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. But the you know the Tool Academy thing was like you know at the time you know people were quite legitimately like. And were it was massively entertaining, and and now it, we wouldn't get away with it, right? So then, yeah. my argument would be like: in a period of time, people, you know, opening boxes and it being deemed acceptable, <laughs> yeah, probably as the climate crisis increases, that will potentially heighten this problem. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, true, you true. Know, you know, why why would we we you know we we deem that acceptable well, it could be the, oh, I, and i i see i see you saying howard and, and but I, I think what rick says is that like because of our detachment from a certain mannerism or ideology or trend that could be you know part of uh of our age because i have also pondered what people get out of that but then i would say to consider if you are a child who knows it's much more likely that you won't get gifts at the behest of your parents or as any suppliers but you can be a part of the experience of seeing someone opening a gift after 12 years or 12 years of horrible austerity where the prospect of getting a present yourself is impossible celebrating mm. somebody who can it's all we have left in the same way that like you know some of us we celebrate when people win the lottery even though we're not getting a penny ourselves and you know it's i think so a lot of these strange experiences that we see online like watching someone else play a computer game or watching somebody else open a gift or someone else try on clothing i think it speaks more to as you said rick that there's a large disconnect that has obviously come from our migration onto social media as human beings. And maybe we haven't been able to make the link yet is that the reason why we like some of the more, but now things we see on social media is because that's the aspects of the human experience that we're missing. Yeah. We're missing being with somebody when someone goes, oh shit, look what I got for my birthday. And you go, oh, that's amazing. And then you go, can I have a go in the back? Me first, but then you can go. Like these, like I said, these yeah. are small minutiae of life. Whereas like watching yeah. a friend open a computer game and turn to you and be like, Let's play this shit right now, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what we're kind of missing on because we've become so yeah. much more individual, individualistic and isolated. You, you know, well, mentioning the um the the winning the lottery thing, I think is really interesting. Sort of to go slightly back to the um what we're talking about with happiness because I came across, and I don't think this is a, a coincidence. Really, during the pandemic, I came across this uh, a lady called Laurie Santos, who's a psychology professor at I think it's at Yale it's somewhere like that and she does a class at Yale that's all about happiness um and it's the most subscribed class at Yale and she puts all of the all of the lectures online as well and it's, it's massively popular and she also does a podcast called the happiness lab um and she started doing it because she kind of 
anecdotally noticed or felt that she was noticing that her students were getting less happy not no. as in the, the individuals but as as she went through the years she felt like those the cohorts were getting less happy um and so she started to look into it and so she just she just talks about what makes us happy and one of the things that she looks at obviously because it's the sort of first thing that you, you think of is does money make you happy um and and it's really interesting because she finds an awful lot of people who've won the lottery and it's absolutely ruined their lives that's the oh, worst thing that happened to them oh, and, they, yeah. and they, they wish they hadn't and also did a really interesting sort of study where they said to people you know um various levels of, of the sort of income ladder how much more money do you think you need to, to to be happy um and as you go up the income ladder that amount gets bigger and bigger and bigger so effectively yeah, the course. more you earn the further yeah, you yeah. are away from your uh, and she basically says that there's a there is of course there is a that there is a huge difference between going from poverty to not being in poverty so money of course has a massive influence on on happiness up to a point and then after that point which isn't a particularly high level of income i heard it's it, like 80 grand and, that's, yeah, and it, it's, your happiness doesn't increase over that not 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 at all if anything it will start decreasing because you, you sort of almost like the, the stress increases yeah um, and i think it's such a um it's such a useful thing to have in your to have in your mind that mo- money no matter what no matter how much we're sort of almost programmed to believe it money is not the thing uh, it is up to yeah. a point and then it just isn't it, and, 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 and it won't be it's imagine the other side of the echelon that the people that have almost all the money they have to think about how much they have to invest in disseminating the idea that this does make you happy because if yeah. not yeah, then we what, would have no, we'd have nothing yeah. to respect them for yeah, and, they, and, the, and the whole purpose of their being would be removed and that's one of the reasons why you hear lottery uh, winners say oh I'm still going to work because yeah. the, a large part of their life's merit working towards winning the lottery whether in a syndicate or writing numbers has now been removed by them winning it. So it means a large part of how they probably spent their lives no God. longer exists. And that's why they're like, yeah. well, I still got to go to work because if not, what else do I do? Yeah, what, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, because I, yeah. I sound like I socialised because I used to hang yeah. out with other people that played the lottery. Oh, yeah. I used to be at the bingo hall and I can't be around yeah. those bitches anymore because I got all this money. So, yeah. You could definitely well, be, be a prisoner uh, in that respect, I guess. If you have won the lottery uh, and are listening to this show, uh, good luck to you and, uh, you know, get in contact. But uh, otherwise, uh, put some money support our uh, NHS midwives and uh, staff. You'd be you'll feel yeah. much better. You, you yeah, actually would. Point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, altruism is really good. You can't put a price on it. it, it it's um, it's it's been a hell of an episode, Dane. It's been a real big, wide ranging, deep and meaningful. I think that Rick Edwards has come and planted some seeds, and it has germinated and bloomed and bloomed into a wonderful bouquet of flowers. Not only have we given you flowers, Rick, you have produced some of your own. Thank you very much for being a guest on the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm sorry if it was a bit. Um, I'm sorry if it's a bit heavy in the end. Not at all. There's no need nope. to apologise. It's called question nope. everything. There's no small yep. print that goes, but keep it lit, please. Yeah. So, anything right. you've done yeah. wrong, Rick. The only thing you've done yeah. wrong is apologise. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I take it back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, but listen, love to the kids, Rick. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, one 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 day that's going to make sense. And <laughs> so historians look back in the Baptist era, they won't be able to pick out a proper lineage. We'll be like. Not only was he an ideologue, <laughs> but a prophet in Rick Edwards' case. Uh, but yeah, thanks again, good sir. Um, where else uh, can we find out about your good works, past, present, and future? What you up oh, to? Oh, uh, well, uh, I'm on I'm on Five Live, BBC Five Live, every morning, six till nine. So feel free to listen to that, or uh, you can listen to my podcast, which is Eureka, which is um, basically me and my friend who's a quantum physicist very smart man just sort of discussing any science question that might take our fancy so it's quite it's what i love about it is the range because it's just you know exactly like this really you can talk about anything but it's your podcast you do what you like so we 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 do everything from you know should we be trying to make contact with aliens to um you know why is we just did one recently was like why is science so white which is quite heavy and then we did you know will we ever talk to animals um you know it's just like just all over the place but in 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 a good way and we and it's kind of the idea is it's a science podcast but you don't need to be like a science geek to like it because we sort of try and do it don't need to be a geek to like it lads yeah yeah at the at the the real quantum of the discussions everyone can understand how the world works so 
That's Sounds right. good. Uh, so our listeners, please do check out Eureka when you can. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, also uh, check out Rick Edwards at uh, all good places where oration is taking place. Um, Rick, thank you again. Right. Well, yep. Good to see you, good man. And uh, again, I, I'm genuinely grateful for uh, the personal hookup and all the support up to now. So great to see you. I will continue to support you. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DaneSnapTeast and at the Howard Cohen. You can now support us on Patreon. Just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad-free content and you can watch the full-length video of the podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE Podcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.